Welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast, your monthly source for conversations and curated content to improve your law practice with your host, Rocky Deer. Hi, and welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast. Don't be like me. Find your own voice. That was advice I received about 10 years ago from a dear friend and mentor. But the thing is, I really wanted to sound like him. He was not only a preeminent employment lawyer and managing partner at a major firm, he also had a regular column in Texas Lawyer called Work Matters. He was a published author of several series of books on employment law. He was chair of the then annual South Texas College of Law Employment Law Conference. He also had a huge social media following of people from all walks of life, not just lawyers. They were all seeking his wisdom about keeping a healthy perspective on life. This dear friend I am extolling is none other than Mike Mazalanka. Most of us know him, even if we haven't met him. You might be familiar with his State Bar of Texas video contributions called Mike Maslenka at Your Desk. Remember that? Well, over the years, Mike has advised us all from afar on how Shakespeare can make us better lawyers, about the teachings of Zen and how that can make us better leaders, about the need for kindness in our lives, about civility with opposing counsel, about Buddhism's teachings for the 21st century. The list goes on and on. Today, Mike is a law professor at UNT Dallas College of Law in downtown Dallas, a position he has held since the 2015-16 academic year. Among his official courses, Mike teaches employment law and contract law, but his students also get insights into life from a professor who never really stopped being a student, a professor who never really stopped caring for each person he encounters. Like many, if not all of you, I am ready for COVID-19 to make its exit. I look back at photos and videos from just February of 2020, and everything just looked and felt so different back then. The term yesteryear comes to mind. I yearn for a return to normal, but will we ever be the same? Then I remembered the year 2009, when Mike Maslanka invited me and Mark Unger of San Antonio to help him start the adaptable lawyer track at the State Bar annual meeting. <laughs> Mike has always been a proponent of lawyers adapting to change and adversity, so who better than Mike to tell us whether, after all the angst of 2020 and part of 2021, COVID-19 might help make us stronger somehow? With that, and with the holiday season upon us, let's get a big picture view from one of my idols in the law, Professor Mike Maslanka. Mike, welcome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, you know, your, your kind uh, words mean a great deal to me. I'll just say this. I always tell the students, don't, don't try to be a mini-me, right? My job <laughs> is not to make you a mini-me. My job, as with you, I guess, is to make you the best version of yourself. So uh, in, in that spirit is the spirit I practice law. It's the spirit in which I teach. And it's the spirit in which I'm happy to do this podcast with you, uh, Rocky. No, it's a real honor. I, I, you know, I, I always call you Mike, but I guess I, I sometimes forget you are now Professor Maslanka. How does that feel? That, that's fine. That, that's fine. Mike, Mike, Mike is fine. There's one thing I never get tired of hearing and one thing I never get tired of saying. <laughs> the thing I never get tired of hearing is when a student says, good morning, Professor Maslanka, or good evening, Professor Maslanka. You can say that as much as you want. And the thing I never get tired of saying is when I was in practice, so on those, on those poles, I'm good. That's the North Pole and the South Pole. I'm, I, those two things make me great, make me feel great and uh, uh, make sure I'm uh, being, a, being a good lawyer, a good professor and leading, leading a fulfilling life. So, you know, after the introduction, it should be 
no surprise to people that you and I have known each other for, I think, 20 years now. It's, it's been a while. It's been a long time, and you didn't like me at first. That's right. At, at first, you came in and you started, you started lecturing me and giving me advice, and I was like, who the heck is this guy? And then, it, and then it turned out, when I look back, I was like, you know, he was absolutely right, and you turned out to be one of the people I look up to and admire. Oh, so, Thank you. So no, it's 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 been fantastic. So I remember when you got the job at UNT, Dallas College of Law. I talked to you about maybe a year later and just asked you how it felt. And you said, this is the job that the universe intended for me, or something along those lines. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, you know, we 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 go through our lives making our plans. Uh, but the universe has other plans for us. When I got here, when I started to teach. I will tell you, I never felt so fulfilled in my life. The ancient Greeks never had a word for happy. It didn't exist in the language. The ancient Greeks, though, had a word for fulfilled. The idea being happiness comes and goes, but fulfillment, deep-seated fulfillment, doing the best you can with what you have, helping the greatest number of people that you possibly can, that is fulfillment. And that's how I feel as a law professor uh, and as a writer of my books and doing the various things that we've worked on together and I've done independently is fulfillment. That's what counts, not happiness. Let's talk for a second then about fulfillment in this, in this new age of COVID-19. You know, first of all, let, before we go any, any further, you know, are you staying safe? Are you guarding your, your body from this virus? I'm doing my, I'm doing my best. You know, I wear my mask uh, wherever I go. I'm teaching uh, uh, and virtually. We had an option to teach uh, uh, live slash virtual, but I just right. decided to do, uh, do virtual and it's worked out fine. It, it's worked out great. I'd rather have a student right there where I can look them in the eye and talk to them. But actually virtual teaching has been a boon, not a bust. Going back to fulfillment and being a professor, how fulfilling has online teaching been? I mean, it's, it, I'm sure it's a change for your students. You know, are, how are they adapting? How are you adapting? Can you, Talk us through that a little bit. And, and you, you use the right word, right? We talked about the program we did together, The Adaptable Lawyer. Darwin never said, it's the survival of the fittest. Never. Darwin always said, it's the survival of the most adaptable. And I like to think that the students have adapted to virtual online learning. And I have too. How so? Like, can you tell us the difference between the two? Yeah, there, there, there are a couple of differences. One difference is, and I know this may sound odd, but I actually feel closer to my students virtually than in person. Let me give you that an is example. odd. Yeah, that is odd. Well, I want to hear about this. You know, I don't know if you're a, a football fan. Sure. I, I, I am actually. One thing I, I, I watch every year is the football draft. But this football draft uh, couldn't be done in person this year. It had to be done via Zoom. So we got to see the coach's basement. The wood panel basement, <laughs> right? You know, the, 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 the painting of the, uh, of the guy playing poker who's a dog with a cigar in, and a scar in its mouth. The thing is, what I've noticed is I see my students as human beings. Their children come into the picture. I interview them, albeit briefly. I see them as people in their natural environment. And I, when I did it from home as opposed to my messy office, they would see my life, my art on the wall. I would show them the bulging bookcases. And they're more receptive. They, when I'm here in my office, there's a desk, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm on one side and they're on the other. That's a barrier. I have found that in virtual teaching, students are more likely, not less likely, 
to come to you and ask for advice to say, what's going on? I didn't un understand this point. Why did I do poorly on this question? And so actually virtual teaching, if you, if you adapt to it, if you embrace it, has many, many advantages. And that's just one example, my friend. Moving forward, once COVID-19 passes and things get back to quote unquote normal, and we'll talk about what normal will be in a second. Sure. But, you know, once we get back to normal, so to speak, are you going to change the way you teach? Are you, you know, how are you going to incorporate this, the lessons from virtual learning into a classroom environment? I think one thing is a mindset. So we're going to go back to live classes at, at some point. I don't sure. know when. Is that there sometimes is an artificial distinction. There's, there's hierarchy. Even I don't like hierarchy, by the way. I don't know how to spell it, but I don't like it. <laughs> I don't know where the E and the I go. I don't like hierarchy. And there's a natural hierarchy in the classroom. I'm up there. I'm the authority figure. And there are 40 students out there. I don't like it. But one thing that we've learned is on Zoom, for instance, you know what? I'm just another box. I'm just another box on the screen. And hierarchy is broken down. In the classroom, there's that natural dynamic. You can't mm -hmm. help it. On Zoom, we have no hierarchy. I'm just another box on the screen. And when I talk, it's yellow. When I don't talk, it's not yellow. And I think that's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. That's the thing we should aspire to. Hierarchy is poison. I think you've talked about that in the context of COVID-19. You say that this, you think this is going to break down hierarchy in our society moving forward. I, I mean, I, I hope so. I hope we're in well, all, this, all this stuff about vaccines. I hope in a, in a way that, that this COVID-19, as terrible as it is, one of the gifts it's going to give us, or maybe has given us, is that hierarchy is not good for teaching. It's, you know, somebody's got to be in charge, okay? I used to have a law partner who said, uh, uh, every job has to have one superintendent. I get that. But if we break hierarchy down and we treat one another more as equals, that I'm up here and you're down there, I think it's healthy. And I think that's one thing I really hope, hand to my heart, that carries over into the classroom, into the actual classroom. How do you do that in the actual classroom? I think that you, you make a point about it. I think, you know, it's funny you say this. I, I tell my students, and we mentioned this earlier, as I said, I don't want you to be a mini me. I want you to be the best version of yourself. And I always thought that was implicit, but now I understand that I have to, I have to express it because they come in thinking, oh, he's the professor. Oh, and I get that, but I want to overcome that. Now, you, you can't call me Mike. You can't call me Michael. You can't call me prof. I'm <laughs> Professor Maslanka, but putting that aside for a minute, right. we're equals. I learn from you, you learn from me, and then you, classmates, colleagues, I facilitate it, but you learn from one another. That's a three-legged stool. And I think we lose something with the three-legged stool over the years. And I think hopefully when you get back into the classroom, the three-legged stool will be supreme uh, yet again. Let's kind of think, though, in, in terms of the mechanics of once things get back in in-person. So you get up there and you state, hey, we're all equals. But at the end of the day, the classroom is still physically structured with a podium with you standing at the podium and with the students stand, you know, sitting in the chairs, kind of looking on at you. Yeah, yeah. objection. Assumes facts, not in evidence. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you think I stand at the podium all the time? I often, um, and I've written a couple of books. We do a lot of, uh, here at the law school, we do a lot of uh, experiential learning where I break uh, uh, the students into groups and I give them a problem. 
And then I walk around the room and I, I visit each little group and I say, how's it coming? Have any questions? And then I dialogue with them. So there we break down the wall, right? Now, sometimes you got to stand up there. Sometimes you got to lecture. Sometimes you have to have a point where everyone, you see everyone and they see you. But I think teachers need to always, and in any walk of life, try to be as personal as possible, as much as possible, one-on-one education. That's what education's about. It's not generic. It's personalized. And so I do everything I can to break down the wall in the classroom. That exists. Have you had any students that appear to be struggling with online as opposed to being in class? Yeah, they do struggle. And that's why I think we always have to go back to this concept of humanity. I'll give you an example. Sure. They struggle, but uh, every once in a while, people who go to law school know that you're called on. It's the Socratic method. Sure. So uh, what I do is uh, uh, we have a Hawaiian shirt day or Hawaiian (laughs) dress day. So I'll wear my Hawaiian shirt. And if you wear your Hawaiian dress uh, Mm -hmm. or your Hawaiian shirt or something vaguely like that, you are exempted from being called on. And we have Hawaiian shirt day. And then we we tell story. And then we have T-shirt day. Like I have a T-shirt that says, uh, I I saw the Baltimore Ravens quarterback with this. Nobody cares. Work harder. So that's my T-shirt. And then the students bring their T-shirts. And if they have a T-shirt and it's got an emblem, a symbol on it, or it's got some uh, quote on it, they explain to me what it means and why they bought it and why they're wearing it. Now, we have the serious business of education. Sure. But when you get to know someone as a human being and they get to know you as a human being, their eyes are open, their ears are open, and the, they get the message that you're trying to instill because you know, you know, they know I have their best interest at heart. And I think they care for me as well. And I think that's the best way to teach. Is it harder to be objective, though, when you break down that hierarchy? Let, let, let me tell you what I mean by that. So, sure. whether it's kind of a quote, boss employee setting or a student teacher setting, sometimes you have to give somebody bad news, right? You have to say, you know, you're no longer needed here. You didn't do well enough on this test. You didn't, you know, you failed. Or you have to give them any any other types of objective bad news that they may not like hearing. When you start getting to know them on a more personal level, does that objectivity start to erode to where you can't deliver that bad news the way you used to? I don't think so. That's a really good question. Sometimes students do not do as well as they hope. Right. But it's, you know, it, it goes back to being a lawyer, right? What did we do when we were lawyers, when, when I practiced? It's reframing. We take what looks bad and we turn it into something that looks good. By way of example, a student is struggling with a certain concept, say, in professional responsibility, which is a course that I teach. And I said, well, you know what? Maybe this is a good thing. Let's work on this. We know what we got to work on, this concept and whatever rule. Uh, you're not getting it. Let's do some hypotheticals. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You'll be stronger on this. And then when you have to take the ethics exam, the nation, national ethics exam, you'll be stronger. You'll get a higher grade. You'll pass it so you can practice law. So I think what you do is you take something that looks bad, right? And you turn it into a positive. You turn it into something that's good. And that's what I try to do when we have to see these opportunities, whether in the classroom or in life or in practice. Well, I, I remember now I'm going to cheat for a second because, you know, since I, since I know you personally, I remember this story and this was maybe four years ago. You'd been teaching about a year or two. And I remember you, you told me a story about a young woman who you had to tell her that, look, 
the law is not for you. It doesn't look like this is really your field. And you kind of have to give her the gentle, I guess, the, the gentle lesson that she'd taken all this time and effort to go to law school, but this may not be the career for her. I don't know if you recall that. Knowing you, you probably do because you recall everybody you, you encounter. But can you do that in a, in a new environment where you've gotten to know them, you know their t-shirt choices, and you know you've met their kids and all that? Can you still give that kind of objective advice to somebody? It's actually easier, not harder. Okay. How so? Because when you deeply care about someone, and I care about each of my students. I mean, maybe you like some better than others. You don't want them to waste their lives. You don't mm. want, they, every one of us, we just get so much time in this world. We know, sure. we have no idea how long it'll be. And we have just so much energy. And we don't want to waste it on something that's not for us. And when you frame it that way, then the message is delivered. And it's delivered in such a way that the student understands it. Now, sometimes, you know, it, it look, it takes a, sure. lo- a lot for me to have a conversation like that with somebody, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, because you, you, you're in law school, you're working hard, even if it's a, when I was managing partners, some law firms here. But at some point, you have to have that conversation. But that's like surgery. It's the, it's the last resort. But when you, when you take that step, you have to frame it in such a way that this is a positive, not a negative. You don't want to be in a 30-year bad marriage with a career and then wake up one day and say, what could I have done? I could have done all of this and I wasted my life. Do you think COVID-19 is going to make those conversations easier now? Do you think, do you think that's going to change? Or in other words, I guess, let me, let me rephrase the question. Do you think COVID-19 and the lessons we take from it are going to change the dynamic of delivering that kind of news, whether it's in in legal teaching or whether it's in law practice? I hope so. And let me go, let me answer your question a little bit of a, round, a roundabout way. This has been a wonderful experience doing it uh, virtually, doing teaching virtually or whatever virtually, because it reminds us of something that's very important, which is this. Nobody does anything alone in this world. One day I'm in front of the class or my professor is in front of the class. You know, I'm 67, all right? And you're master of the universe. The classroom is yours. And then the next day, you have to teach remotely. I am not tech savvy. I don't say that as a point of pride. I say it as a point of fact. I could not do what I did without the help of my research assistant. I even hate to say my research assistant. The research assistant for my books, our administrative assistant here at the law school, they helped me through this. I could not have done any of this teaching without them. And that is an important lesson to remind ourselves. And I'm always going to take that with me. I think I always knew that. But COVID has driven that home in a very important way. And to fellow lawyers out there, realize as talented as you may be, you're here because of others, whether it's your parents, whether it's because of your colleagues, you do nothing alone in this world. So maybe that's a roundabout way of of answering your question, Rocky. No, it's it's not roundabout at all. I think you've I think you've you've hit it. Let's maybe break this down into categories, if okay. you will. So we've talked about lawyers and how they need to understand they're not doing this alone, and there are others who help bring them to that point. What about law firms? Do you think law firms either will or perhaps should change the way they do things after COVID? Law firms are entities, right? Sure. Entities exist. They exist to make money. That's what a law firm does. 
So you can't change a law firm. What you can change, what you can teach is not a law firm, but individual lawyers, individual staff, because they're human beings. They can learn and they can change and they can develop. A law firm can't. You start not from the top down. You start from the bottom up. Although if we're now, if we're talking about an era when we're doing away with hierarchies, we're not talking about the top of the firm or the bottom of the firm, right? We're talking about everybody kind of doing their job and they're working maybe more, more horizontally than they are vertically. Do you think we'll ever get to a point when, when lawyers and law firms kind of see that type of dynamic emerge? I hope so. Now, by the way, let me just hasten to say, as when I was trying lawsuits, I would often tell the jury, this is what I'm not saying. Okay. So I'm not saying I believe in, in, in chaos. I'm not saying I believe I believe in anarchy. I'll go back to my old law partner, right? Every job has to have a superintendent, but you can take that idea too far. So there's always going to be a superintendent. There's always somebody who's got to call certain kinds of shots. But I really do believe that this has been such a searing experience, this being COVID-19 and what we're going through together, that it will change. It will change how our brains are wired. It will change how we view the world. And if you change how somebody views the world, you change the world. If you change their mindset, you change the world. That's a principle of science. It's a principle of physics. And it's always been true. And it's going to be all the more true, if that's even a concept, <laughs> uh, than uh, even more true than, it, than, it, than it's always been. Well, then what about the students? Because that's, that's I think, is going to be a very interesting Interesting dynamic to watch. The students that were that are in law school during COVID-19 or that maybe even graduated in May of 2000. I'm sorry, that are that are law students in 2020 or that graduated in May of 2020 and had this huge earth-shattering shuffling of the cards while they were learning to be lawyers. How do you think and and you know, you're frontline with the students. How do you think this is going to affect the way they view the world as they emerge from from law school and into this new world? I think, and I'm not a Pollyanna, by the way. I think it'll be positive. So I was teaching in the spring and we had to uh, change over in March. I taught in the summer. I taught in the fall. I'll teach uh, in the spring. And this is how I start off my class. First thing I say, I know this is different. This is a different way of communicating information. But I want to tell you this, hand to my heart. I am proud, and I mean this, of each and every one of you for adapting to what's going on. And then I, then I quote Darwin. And I you know, talk a little bit about the adaptable lawyer. Mm-hmm. But I'm proud of each of you. Right. And you should embrace this moment because as lawyers, you're going to have to be adaptable. And this, my friends, is the first test. And you're all passing it very well. The first test in life and the first test in practicing law. You've adapted. And you're well on your way to being good, effective lawyers. And so you have to set that mindset wherever you go at the very outset, Rocky. Obviously, there, there are people that have been very, very adversely affected at a very, very basic level from COVID-19. People who have either passed away, they've had long-term illnesses, they've had relatives and loved ones pass away or be adversely affected health-wise from this pandemic. So I want to start out by recognizing that on the whole, COVID-19 is a very negative thing that oh, has happened uh, because of the casualties. Oh, absolutely. You know? There's, there's no, right. no question about this. There's no right, question. Right. And, and, and just, I, I want to make it clear that, that, you know, we're not saying that this is a good thing that has happened. 
we're saying this is a bad thing, but we're trying to find some silver linings in it. So absolutely. You know, stepping back for a moment from the human toll of COVID-19, do you think that for the practice of law, this is going to be a net positive? Are we going to learn and become better as a profession? Or do you think we're going to go back to business as usual and, you know, yay, that was a, a blip on the radar? It's funny you say that. I think a lot about this. There's an uh, interesting book many, many years ago. I forget the author, but the name of the book is Change or Die. Change or Die. I've heard of this one, yes. It's a very interesting book because what the author of the book did, he followed around uh, uh, patients who had this, the uh, uh, coronary bypass surgery. And you would think they would change their lifestyle, more exercise, better diet. And what he found was, what he found was that for a very brief time after the surgery, they did those things. But the further removed they were from the event, the traumatic event, the less they changed. And then they reverted back to what they were. They reverted back to bad foods and no exercise, everything that got them on the operating table in the first place. And I think that's right. So the lesson from all of that is, let's remind ourselves all the time about the tragedy that COVID-19 was, that how we changed and how we should continue to change and learn from this terrible tragedy. So change or die is right. But if you cut new neural pathways in your brain, that's the other thing they mentioned in the book, about adapting, and you, they will stay with you. Take a, and take a moment. I, I, you know, I, I've written about this. You, you, I think COVID-19 has, has made us stop and breathe and take a moment to reflect upon what we do every day, every minute, and our intentions. So that's a long answer to a short question. If, if we could distill it into maybe a few talking points, what do you want us to learn from COVID-19? You know, we've, we've talked about hierarchies. I want you to learn, I think. And I think you and I have talked a little bit about this. So we have. I, I have a cab. We driver. talk about a lot of stuff. You and I, I. know. <laughs> I, I know. I have a cab driver. He's Punjabi, and I had a research assistant, um, and she was from South Asia. You're from South Asia. That's right. And what they what what we've learned is what they what the, my friends here have taught me is this, in that in the Hindi language, in the Punjabi language, the word for tomorrow, and the word for yesterday, it's identical. It's kal. Yeah, that's right. Now, what does that teach us? That didn't happen by accident. What does this teach us? If the word for tomorrow, right, and the word for yesterday, right, yeah, are the same. I think it teaches us that all that matters is today. It's this very moment. You know, Seneca, the uh, uh, ancient philosopher, the Stoic philosopher, said that he said that every day is a lifetime. And every day mm -hmm. I get up, I think, you know, I messed up yesterday. But I now have a chance. The universe has given me another chance to make it right. And so I think ultimately this terrible tragedy will instill in us the idea of the Hindi and Punjabi language, which is tomorrow, yesterday, same word. It doesn't matter. All that matters is today, this moment. I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, I've written several books, published several books. One of my editors over the summer uh, sent me an email and she uh, asked, she used the word amiss. <laughs> in terms of uh, my reading over my, my content of my, of my new book. It's a great word. It's a, oh, it's a, isn't that a great word? You always never hear that word. Normally, what I would have done is this. Okay, fine. And I was just blown by it. I stopped <laughs> and I sent her an email and I said, that's a great word. Thank you for taking the time to use it. 
thank you for taking the time to help me. A miss. I'm going to remember that. It may seem like a silly example, but, but I take it to heart. I think that's what we have to do. You know, we say things like, I love you. We do it so often, it's meaningless. I think COVID has taught us that today is what matters, our intentions for today matters, and that we should take the time to say what's important to us. Well, it's, it's kind of like when, when you ask somebody, hey, how are you doing? Yeah. People say, how are you doing? And they don't really want the answer. They don't want the full answer, right? If, if, if I said, if you asked me, how are you doing? And I went through the, the whole panoply of, of successes and defeats that I'd had in the, in the last few months, you'd probably, you'd fall asleep with boredom. But it's, I guess that's another example. We say these things and we ask these questions, but we're not really wanting the full answer. It's almost like a formality. It's almost like a formality, and, the, and, and then we give a formulaic answer. You know, um, uh, I read somewhere, and I tell my students this when they deal with people. If you really want the truth to that question, don't say, how you doing? Say, what are you thinking about today? What's on your mind? Or you can say, you seem a little troubled. Tell me what you're thinking. Ultimately, if you say that two or three times, they'll tell you really what's on their mind and what's in their heart. If you just say, how you doing? Formulaic question, you get a formulaic answer, and you're no further ahead in helping somebody. Final question. Do you think, do you think we'll ever get back to, quote, normal, or are we forever changed? I, th- I hope we're forever changed. And I, I think, to give you my final answer to your final question, although nothing's ever <laughs> final. We're, we're, we're always, <laughs> have you ever seen the movie Air Force One? Absolutely. All right. So I love that movie. So why do you like the movie? So to tell us the climactic scene in the movie. Well, to me, the climactic scene was when, when Harrison Ford kicks the bad guy off the plane. He says, get off my plane. But you probably have a different one in mind. No, no, this is right. So Harrison Ford's the president. Air Force One is hijacked. Ultimately, Harrison Ford is the president, goes to a different airplane, not the magnificent Air Force One that they were used right. to. He kicks the bad guy off, and then he gets on the radio, and he says, this is Air Force One. It's not about the beautiful airplane. This is an old cargo ship, right, that he's now mm. on. Right. But it's now Air Force One because Air Force One is an idea. It is not a thing. And I think that one thing we've learned, whether it's a law school, a university, a law firm, or a business, it's not about bricks and mortar. It's not about the fancy aquariums in the lobby. It's about a spirit. It's about an idea. These things, these ex, ex, extraneous things, these external things are nice, but it's not what it's about. It's not about the spirit of an organization. Law firms are surviving now because they had a spirit that would not die. Law schools and universities are surviving now, not because the buildings are here, but because they have a spirit, a reason for being to fulfill others that is still there. And I think even though buildings are nice, offices are nice, and we're going to go back to them, I always hope that we carry in our heart of heart, as Shakespeare would say, that these things are extraneous to our existence. They're not why we're here. We're here for other reasons. And that idea, I hope, survives ultimately the cure of COVID-19 and ultimately when we find our way out of this terrible mess that we're in. You know, Mike, I could, I could talk to you all day. And I know in, there have been times when we have talked all day. Yeah. So 
So, you know, I, I, I wish this could be one of those times, but, you know, for present purposes, and I sound like a legal brief when I say that, but for present, present purposes, purposes yes. God, yeah. <laughs> in the present case, we have run out of time, but thank you so much for joining us. Professor Maslanka. Sure, well, heretofore, and premises considered, <laughs> uh, I enjoyed it as well, my friend. Thank you very much for the opportunity, and thank you very much for the privilege. Absolutely. And of course, I want to thank you for tuning in and encourage you to stay safe and make sure you follow all applicable orders for dealing with COVID-19. And please advise your clients and loved ones to do the same. This situation is changing fluidly and rapidly. So please seek out legal counsel if you have a question. Now, if you like what you heard today, and how could you not? Mike Maslenka, is, is, he's one of a kind. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, remember, life's a journey, folks. I'm Rocky Deer, signing off. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Go to TexasBar.com slash podcasts. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find both the State Bar of Texas and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, the State Bar of Texas, Legal Talk Network, or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.